Let's take the Word of God this, uh, this evening and turn to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm 3. And we are working our way through uh, the Psalms, also the book of Proverbs. I want you to hold your place there in Psalm 3. We're going to begin reading in just a moment. But to get some context for the, the Psalm, if you hold your place in Psalm 3 and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. If you remember early on in David's life, uh, David was anointed to be king. We know there was the great deliverance when he killed Goliath and uh, the people recognized the hand of the Lord on David. But you remember David would wait a long time by the time he would become the king. As a matter of fact, if you remember when he first became king, he did not have the entirety of the nation of Israel. They came together a little later in his reign. Uh, and so to get to the throne, David went through a lot of difficulties. We know that uh, Saul was um, hunting for his life, wanted to kill him. And we know that God preserved him. David uh, showed a tremendous amount of trust in the Lord because on several opportunities that he had to take the life of Saul, he said, I'm not going to do it. He, he left things in the Lord's hand. We know that after David became king, we know that he uh, sinned in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We know we have his, chapter 11, his sin with Bathsheba. And we know that in the life of David, there would be consequences that would be felt for the remainder of his reign. Uh, one of his sons, Absalom, uh, decided to uh, usurp authority to take the throne of David by force. And in the midst of all of this, we read a portion in 2 Samuel chapter 15. If you uh, turn to verse 10 with me, 2 Samuel 15 verse 10, the Bible says, But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. Now, remember, Absalom was, according to the times there, he was seemingly an attractive man. Uh, the nation looked up to him. Apparently, he had long hair. He even weighed the hair. Uh, this was a man who was very selfish and prideful. And so here, he is trying to get people behind him to usurp the authority of his father to the throne and to take the throne by force. Verse 11 and with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. So they, they had been deceived. The Bible says in verse 12, And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, uh, the Gileonite, David's counselor from this city, even to Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy was strong. For the people increased continually with Absalom. Uh, so the circumstances here is you have men following Absalom. You have David's own counselor, Ahithophel, uh, joining Absalom. The Bible says that the conspiracy was strong. Uh, things going on behind the back of David to try to remove David from the throne and for Absalom to be installed in his place. In verse 13 uh, the Bible says, And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly, and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. Okay, so turn to Psalm 3. So David is fleeing from Absalom. That's, that's what we read. There was a conspiracy against David, and we see here that there are men, uh, basically the, the conspiracy grew larger and larger and larger to where we read in just a few moments, just a few verses, that from the time that the conspiracy started to the time when David had to flee, it got so large that David says, if I stay here, I'm going to die. And so he is fleeing from his son, from his own son, Absalom. Now, I know we sometimes read the Bible, but let's try to put ourselves in David's shoes. 
and try to think if your own son was trying to kill you, to have a conspiracy against you, how would you respond? Well, Psalm 3 is, is David's response. If you have a title above the psalm, it says a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. So that's what we just read. Now let's read the psalm. This is David writing and he says this. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. I'd like to bring your attention to verse 5. In the midst of this, as we just read just a little bit about the circumstances, trying to put ourselves in David's shoes, and now we come to what uh, David himself is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and he says in verse 5, I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I think we would all agree that it would be a difficult time to sleep. You've ran, had to run for your safety. Your own son is uh, mounted a conspiracy against you. And in the midst of this, David says, I was able to lay down and sleep, and I awoke. And how was I able to do that? Because the Lord sustained me. So I'd like to preach on that tonight. The Lord sustained me. As we look at this psalm here this evening, as we study through the psalms, there's obviously a very personal flair to it. Many of those are uh, both personal to David, but some of those are also messianic in nature to where they can both refer to what David was going through and also what Jesus Christ would go through. Uh, we know that is true in many of the psalms. We looked at Psalm 1. We talked about how blessedness is found in those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate in the law of the Lord. And we see this blessedness on those who do those things, who are proactive in delighting and meditating in the law of the Lord. And then we also saw in chapter 2, which is a messianic psalm, but he, the, the whole thrust of the psalm is, blessed are all they that trust in Him. So blessedness comes with those who trust in the Lord and the work of God and what God does. We also find blessedness in this third psalm. If you notice the last verse of verse 8, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Now think about that for just a moment, because as, he, as he's writing this, he's fleeing from Absalom. And yet he declares with great certainty that the blessing of God is upon God's people. Now we would say, well, wait a minute. It doesn't seem to me at this point that David is blessed of the Lord because he's running from his kingdom. The kingdom that God promised to him, he's running from that very kingdom. So the blessing doesn't seem to be in the life of David at this point, but yet it is. How was David able to know what blessedness was in those circumstances? And so I want us to look at and study this psalm this evening. I'm going to give you... Um, I think it's three points uh, tonight. Yes, three points. We're going to look at, first of all, how the psalmist uh, details his conflict. Uh, then we're going to look, and that'll be verse 1 through 3. And then we're going to look, verse 4 through 6, how the psalmist describes his comfort. And then lastly, in the last two verses, we're going to see how the psalmist declares his confidence. So notice, first of all, as we look in our notes, we see the psalmist uh, details his conflict. 
Uh, it is obvious here that David is in a great conflict, but when I'm talking about conflict, I'm not talking about a military conflict. Often when we think about this psalm, we might tend to think that the psalmist is asking for physical deliverance. I really don't think that this is what David is asking for here. As a matter of fact, as you read through the psalm, um, verse 2 says, Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Uh, he, he says that he was able to sleep because the Lord sustained him in verse 5. He says in verse 6, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Now, the reality is there would still be thousands of people surrounding David round about, but yet what, le- what David is learning to in this moment is not, he's not asking God to deliver him from the thousands of people. He is asking God to deliver him from fear. And that's what we find here. Um, even when he says in verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Notice what he says. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone... Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. And so we now think about this just a moment. Verse 2 tells us this is what they say of me. The idea that they were smitten on the cheekbone is they can't speak anymore. They They said there is no help for him in God. And when the Lord says he smote them on the cheekbone, that means they can't speak anymore. Their mouth has been stopped. The accusation that they hurled at David that there was no help for him in God is not true. David did find help in God. Uh, he says, Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. You see, the, the, ungodly, the ungodly wanted to devour David and to ruin him and to devour his kingdom, and yet the teeth are broken. That means that they are not able to harm David. And so he says in the midst of this, that salvation belongeth unto the Lord, and thy blessing is upon thy people. Notice here, there is... No deliverance that is de- physical deliverance that is detailed in this psalm. And yet the psalmist still has the blessing of the Lord. So I think that what we need to learn here is how do we get this blessedness without physical deliverance? Because that's what David experienced here. So we begin here this psalm. We see that the psalmist details his conflict. I want you to notice. As we look at this conflict, there is both David's foe and David's God. In the first two verses, we see David's foe. So David here, this is a prayer of David. David is speaking to the Lord and he details the conflict in verse 1 and 2 with the foe. He says this, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul... There is no help for him in God. Notice, when we think about the details of this conflict, he gives us uh, three things about this conflict. First of all, he talks about the trouble. Then he talks about those who rise up against him. And then he talks about what they say about him. And so notice here, first of all, we see the trouble uh, that David details here. He says, how are they increased that trouble me? So again, David was already going through trouble. You can imagine that his own son wanted to usurp his authority, wanted to rise to the throne, and he did not want to do it the proper way. He tried to rise up and to rally people against, uh, or uh, to follow him, eventually to stand against David. But David was already going through a troublesome time to have his own son uh, wanting to uh, uh, be, be rid of his father. And David now... He saw his trouble increase. That's what he says. How are they increased that trouble me? In other words, David was already going through trouble, but yet the trouble is increasing. If you notice the progression that we read just a moment ago in 2 Samuel chapter 15, we see that, remember, it was uh, the, the foe was from David's son, Absalom. Uh, set things up. There was a conspiracy uh, against David from Absalom. So Absalom was against David, but then notice he rallied men around him. So we see here that David's uh, soldiers, uh, those were the ones, if there was any men in Israel, they were under the authority of David. 
And so when Absalom rallied some soldiers around him, these were David's soldiers. And so there was not only uh, Absalom, his son, stood against David, but also an army stood against David. We also see that David's supporter, Ahithophel, was against David. Ahithophel was a counselor to David, and he went to counsel Absalom. And so we see here that it began with Absalom, but uh, that was troublesome to the heart of David. But then how are they increased that trouble me? Have you ever felt that sometimes when you go through a season that's trouble, that things seems to be one after the other in that season? It's almost like it doesn't just one thing happen. It seems like several things happen successively where you might feel at some point overwhelmed. And so here David is not describing the fact that he is troubled He is describing the fact that the trouble is increasing around him. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. When uh, David writes this, things are not getting better. They are getting worse. So this is not David saying that, oh, things got really bad and now, oh, we see the end of the tunnel. No, actually, we don't see the end of the tunnel. Right now, all we see is darkness Because those who are against me are increasing on every side. So we see the trouble. He details the trouble. We also, um, and by the way, troubles seem to always come in flocks. Right? It's never just one. It seems to come successively. We not only see the trouble, but we see the opposition. He mentions in verse 1, Many are they that rise up against me. And so here, obviously, Uh, We could think of individuals such as Absalom and Ahithophel and the individual soldiers that joined Absalom. But those eventually stood up against David, uh, who, by the way, had the rightful uh, authority as the king, who... Uh, who people, who, whom the people opposed. And so uh, David says, look, I'm not only troubled, but there's opposition against me. People are standing against me. And notice he says, many are they that rise up against me. And then he mentions their voice. Not only the trouble, the opposition, but also the voice. Notice what they say. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Now, now think about that for just a moment. Basically, David's enemies declared that God had forsaken him. There's no help for you, David, anymore. Now, David, you may have at one point been the anointed of the Lord. You may have risen to the throne. But David, now it's somebody else's turn. And you kind of see how things and people are rallying around Absalom. So certainly, David, the glory has departed. God is no longer with you. God is no longer protecting you. David, God has forsaken you. If God had not forsaken you, do you think He would have allowed this to happen? You see, that's the the natural mindset says, well, if there was a God who was protecting me, then why would He allow this to happen? And so that's that's the voice of the foe. Look at, look at the king. He's running away from his palace. Look at the king. His own army and his own soldiers are rallying around Absalom. Look at him. He is fleeing like a dog with no home anymore, just like he did before he became the king. God has forsaken him. You see, David is saying, all the circumstances around me are going wrong. Everybody has turned against me. And it seems to the eyes of the world... That, those, that, that even God Himself has forsaken me. Has anybody ever done that to you where maybe you got saved later in life and then your family members, maybe something happened to you and, and it was not, you know, like bad circumstances or financial woes and people say, well, where's your God? People will say that. Where's God to help you? Didn't He promise to help you and to be with you? And so David here is is facing that. The trouble, the opposition, the voice. So we hear he speaks of his foe, and and you can no doubt feel the the pain and the cry of David. But then, verse 3, notice, he not only speaks of his foes in verse 1 and 2, but then in verse 3, he speaks of his God. 
So notice he speaks of his God right after his foe said, this is what God has done. God has forsaken you. There is no help for you in God. And now the psalmist turns and says, this is what people are saying about me. But this is what I know about God. This is what I know about God. What does he know about God? Verse 3, but thou. But stands in contrast to what the foes have been saying. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter up of mine head. I want you to see there's three things here that uh, David knows about God. First of all, he says that God is his defense. Then he mentions that God is his honor. And thirdly, that God is his joy. Now think about that for just a moment as he's uh, uh, the, uh, those who rise up against him uh, those who trouble him are increasing on every side. They say he's forsaken of God, and yet uh, the psalmist affirms as he speaks of his God, and he says, you're my defense. He says, thou art a shield for me. Uh, the word shield here is an interesting word. It's the word, uh, you could say the word buckler, which means protector. Uh, we think about a shield. Certainly we have the shield that we think about when the soldiers would brace their arms into a shield, whether it was circular or square in nature, that they would use the shield to protect themselves. But the idea of a buckler, and that's the word here that we're thinking about, shield or buckler, means protector, but it means a roundabout protection. It's not just a little shield that you're using to protect yourself to move around. No, he says, I'm protected on every side. Uh, I, this is a buckler. The Lord is my buckler. He is a shield compassed round about me. The psalmist here is declaring that the Lord is a shield above him, beneath him, around him, without him, and within him. That's what the Lord is. That's what he is. He is my defense. Now, I want you to think here because I, I believe here we're not talking about the physical aspect of David's life. That's not what we're talking about. Why? He just got kicked out of the palace. He's running for his life. We would say, well, where's God's protection? How is God protecting him? Well, I guess we have to ask ourselves, what is David being protected from? What is he being protected from? What is it that, that David fears? I think that perhaps we could think about the words of Saul uh, or, or Paul in the New Testament. Paul's greatest fear is that he would become a castaway. That's what he said. I believe that uh, Paul feared being a castaway more than he feared dying physically. And so he said, the Lord is my buckler, he is my shield, he has compassed me round about. That means all around, above me, beneath me, all around me, within me and without me. Well, think about all that applies. Whether it is uh, a Satan here, an agent of Satan to buffet me, that's from beneath. We think about it, what if God is, he is allowing this in the life of David as a trial to test him. That's a trial from above. What about the enemies on earth who are all around him, encompassing him? What about the trouble that he faces even from within his heart? Thinking about what, has God forsaken me? What is God doing to me? No, we're going to find by the end, he's going to say, I will not be afraid. You see, what the Lord would be protecting David from would be fear. Fear of the enemy. You see, we have to ask ourselves, what, what is it that we want deliverance from? Maybe it is that, well, we want uh, something that's happened in our life. We want our circumstances to change. Well, maybe is it the Lord that He has allowed those things so that we can see that He wants to deliver us from something else that's in our lives that we need to be delivered from? We not only see here, He speaks of the Lord as His defense, He also speaks of the Lord as His honor. He says, Thou art a shield for me. Notice, my glory. The Lord is David's glory. Now think about it. The glory and the splendor of David here was not found in any, any earthly throne or palace. That's not where the glory and splendor of David was found. He said uh, that the Lord is His glory. His glory was found in the Lord. Uh, you see, it's not even if we think about uh, the scene with David and Goliath, we may think, wow, look at David, and we think about the songs of, 
of those of Israel who were saying, wow, David has killed his ten thousands. And we think about the praise. Well, well, David, you remember what he said though? He says, the Lord will deliver me. Just like he delivered me from the lion and the bear. He will deliver me. So, we know that David knows that his honor and his glory is not found in the fact that he is a king in a palace. His honor and glory is is in the Lord. You see, he wanted the Lord to be, uh, the Lord is my honor. But then he says, he is also the lifter up of mine head. That expression is, you know, the, the natural inclination of the soul that is in anguish and that is distressed is to hang the head. We could think that David, you can imagine here, David as he hears of the rumblings against him in Israel and he hears about his son, he hears about the soldiers, he hears about Ahithophel the counselor, and he has to flee from the palace. Can you imagine, do you see David as he's uh, running away from Jerusalem? Do you see him walking, walking as he's leaving? This is unbelievable. My son wants to kill me. The soldiers have turned against me. My own counselors have turned against me. And his, his, his head is down. It's hung low. Why? Because uh, no doubt the circumstances have brought, brought distress on his life. But then he says, but the Lord, He is the lifter up of mine head. You see, what the psalmist says is, you may uh, have brought about trouble sometimes against me. You may have risen up against me. You may have said to me that there is no help for him in God. But I know what is true. And I know what God has done for me. He has been my shield. He has been my, uh, my buckler. He himself is my glory. So you may rend the kingdom from my hands but you will never rend me of the honor that I give to God. And furthermore, the Lord is the one who is able to lift up my head when it seems that my head should be cast down in anguish. The Lord has lifted me up and brought joy to my life. Pastor, you need to deal with reality. I'm saying that is reality. We just need to learn to live by faith. So we see the psalmist details his conflict. But then we see that the psalmist describes his comfort. So this is where I want to go to the details because he's going to mention here that the Lord, the Lord is his shield, his glory, and the lifter up of his head. But let's ask ourselves, what did the psalmist do? What did he do? Well... Verse 4, 5, and 6, there are three things that he did. And they're mentioned right there for us. So the psalmist here describes his comfort. I want you to notice, first of all, I'll give you the three points and we'll expound on those. We see, verse 4, I cried unto the Lord. That's what he did, number one. Number two, I laid me down and slept. And he says, the Lord sustained me. So he cried out to the Lord. He laid down and slept. And then, verse 6, I will not be afraid. Now, now I want you to think about those three things here. The psalmist here describes his comfort in the midst of those circumstances. So what do you say here? First of all, I cried unto the Lord. Now, notice here the verse. It's interesting here, and I, I never really noticed that. But he says, I cried unto the Lord, notice, with my voice. Why is he saying that? Well, I think we all know that we can pray audibly or silently. When David says, I cry unto the Lord with my voice, does, does God hear a silent prayer? Yes, he does. However, it seems clear here, I, and I think this is true, I, I think we do pray, I think we pray better out loud. Now, I'm not saying that every time we pray, we should pray out loud. I'm do, I, do, I do think, because I know this personally, I think we pray better out loud. I think just from my personal experience, if I have a, a time of prayer, if it's not audible, I get distracted very easily. And sometimes I've even fallen asleep. But you can't fall asleep if you're talking out loud. Or if you do, that would be impressive and you'd let me know. 
but but here it seems to me here that clear that we pray out loud better and, and the psalmist says it's not something here that I can hide I, it's, we, we could think well this is very personal to David but David can't contain himself he needs God so much that it cannot be a silent prayer it has to be a, a, an audible prayer to God you see, the Lord is not an imaginary uh, uh, being whom we cannot communicate with. He is the living God who hears and answers our prayer. And notice what he says. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. And here, here is the wonderful thing. And he heard me. He heard me. Notice he heard me out of his holy hell. Now, Jesus told his disciples, he says, when he prays, say, our Father which art in heaven. Now, I, I, I understand the Lord is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. We, we know this. We, we know the Bible doctrine of the omnipresence of God. He is everywhere present. But yet when we pray, we, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to acknowledge his habitation. He is in heaven. He is on His throne in heaven. That means that He is undisturbed by the affairs of men. And so here you think about David. He is on earth. He is fleeing from Absalom. He is fleeing from soldier. He is fleeing from his counselor Ahithophel. And all those who have gathered against David. All the trouble that he's going through. And their voices that he is hearing. There is no help for him in God. And he has heard that voice. And he has heard what the people said about him. But here he says, but I'm going to... I'm not going to listen to their voice. I'm going to talk to the God in heaven, my God in heaven, and out of His holy hill, which is far, uh, a far greater distance than I can imagine, and God can hear me. And He did. He heard me. This is an audible cry. This audible cry stands in contrast to what the enemies said about him. While the enemies speak of him, what he does is he doesn't say, Well, there's no help in God in you, you bunch of losers. They're shouting at him and he says, Lord, would you hear me? Boy, that would, that would teach us, wouldn't it? How we should respond. Well, you don't understand what they did to me. They, they, this merits a response. You're right. It does merit a response. But the right kind of response. And the right kind of response is not to lash out. It's to say, Lord, you, you heard what they said. That, that's what he says in verse 2. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no hell for him in God, but I know that you're my shield and my glory. And the lifter up of my head. And so I, I've heard what they said. But I tell you that this is what you mean to me. This is what you are to me. And so the psalmist describes his comfort by saying, this is how he began. I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. This is spiritual activity. They that worship him, the Lord, must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is a spiritual activity. Now this is very important that that's where the psalmist begins. He cries to the Lord. He asks and he, he says, Lord, this is you, you hear me out of your holy hill. You're my shield. You're my glory. You're the lifter up of my head. And so he cries to the Lord and he has heard of God. But then we go to the next step. How does the psalmist find comfort? Verse 5. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. So, so this follows, notice verse 4, I cried unto the Lord. Verse 5 follows verse 4, I laid me down and slept. I really believe this. If you don't start with verse 4, you cannot experience verse 5. If you don't cry out to the Lord, I don't think you can lay down and sleep in those circumstances. Why? Because notice what he did in his prayer. In his prayer, notice, he did not negate the trouble. He didn't say by faith that it doesn't exist, it's not real. He ran to God. Do you see the difference? You see, sometimes people think, well, 
uh, faith is ridiculous. You kind of pretend that nothing is real. That's not the case at all. Faith says, I see the trouble, but I'm going to run to God. It's not ignoring the trouble. It's declaring that God is greater than the trouble. So, he says, I laid me down and slept. Notice, the first time I cried unto the Lord, He heard me. Here He says, I laid me down and slept, and I awake. Why? The Lord sustained me. What is the result of that spiritual activity of crying unto the Lord? What's the result? The result is physical rest. Do you see that? He cried to the Lord, and then He was able to, in my own, I guess, translation, sleep like a baby. I laid me down and I slept. I actually slept. I got it. And then I awaked. How do we know that he... How do you know, Pastor, he really slept? Because he said, I awaked. <laughs> that means he slept. Really slept. He was not dozing off and on. He, he slept well. How could he do that? Because of his spiritual activity. Of calling out to the Lord. You see, I really think that all of those things that... that they're all connected in our lives. We, we think about, right, our spiritual activity. We think about physical rest. What is that connected to? It's connected to our spiritual activity. If you concern yourselves with all that is going on in the world, you hear all the news and you, you know, all the things flashing before you and you become troubled. Oh, this going on and the economy is, is, is failing and look, there's school shootings everywhere. It says everything is falling apart. Then you can't sleep. Why? Because you're not focused on God. You're focused on man and circumstances, and events that you cannot change. And you should turn to the Lord. You see, I believe that those who have faith in God, and unwavering faith in God, can lay down and sleep comfortably, being untroubled by the most difficult circumstances of life. Say, Pastor, I can't sleep, what's my problem? Have you called out to the Lord? Would you try that? There's a net, yet another thing that happens. Notice. The first one is, I cried unto the Lord, He heard me. The second, I laid me down and slept. I wake for the Lord sustained me. I'll talk a little bit about that word sustain at the end. But then he says, I will not be afraid. I want you to notice here, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. So, notice, the spiritual activity, an audible cry to the Lord. What's the result? Physical rest. What's the second result? Emotional stability. I will not be afraid. Now, notice here, the psalmist does not dismiss the reality of the enemy, does he? He says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. So there's the reality. They're there. They're still there. But I'm not going to be afraid. What is that? Emotional stability. You see, the psalmist does not dismiss the reality of the enemy. Indeed, he acknowledges their great number. Rather, the psalmist is delivered from fear in his soul. Remember what they said in verse 2? Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. You see what the enemy, what, what they really wanted to do to David, they wanted to make David afraid. Lose confidence in God. God's not going to help you anymore. And so then he runs to God and says, you know what, Lord, if you don't deliver me from ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me, I'm not going to be afraid because I trust in God. You see, he cried to the Lord, spiritual activity. He was able to lay down and sleep, physical rest. That's the result. Because the Lord sustained him. The Lord cannot sustain you unless you cry out to him for help. And then, the next result is that he is not afraid. Why? Because the Lord saves. You see, emotional stability. You see, faith does not dismiss the trouble. Faith finds deliverance in the trouble. Now, do you get that? You're not delivered from trouble. You're delivered in trouble. 
From what? From yourself. You see, what happens is difficulties come our way, circumstances, difficult circumstances come our way, and immediately we, we focus on those things before us. And if we don't cry out to God, you'll find those things affecting your life. They're going to affect you emotionally. They're going to affect you physically. Not able to get rest. And yet, this psalmist here says, I was able to find rest and deliverance from fear because I cried out unto the Lord. So faith does not dismiss the trouble. Faith finds deliverance in trouble. Which brings us to the last point. We see not only the psalmist details his conflict... He describes his comfort, but thirdly, the psalmist declares his confidence. Notice verse 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Now, can I pause here? At this point, we just read the record. Has he been physically delivered? He's still running away. But do you notice the language he uses? Thou hast. Past tense, you've already done this. You've already smitten mine enemy upon the cheekbone. You've already broken the teeth of the ungodly. That's the past tense. Well, it hasn't happened. Well, yeah, it didn't happen in real way. It's not like God came and smacked them all his enemies across the head and dislocated their cheekbone. It's not like he grabbed a, a hammer and then broke out all their teeth. What, this is a symbolic in nature. What is he talking about? Well, what they've been saying about me and particularly what they've been saying about God. If you're smitten on the cheekbone... What's the result? You cannot speak. If you have broken teeth, you cannot eat. So he basically says, my enemies, they cannot speak anymore. And my enemies cannot devour anymore. In other words, when he says thou hast broken or, or thou hast smitten my enemies on, upon the cheekbone, whatever they've said... It has proven to be lies. Their mouth is stopped. Well, what did they say in this, in this psalm? There is no hell for him in God. And he says, I found help in God. God was my shield, my glory, the lifter up of my head. I cried unto the Lord. I was able to lay down and awake, uh, lay, lay down asleep and awake for the Lord sustain me. And no, no matter what happens in my life, I will not be afraid. And so when those who said there is no help for him in God, their words have proven to be lies. They've been smitten on the cheekbone. Whatever they said is not true. And you've broken the teeth of the ungodly. They cannot devour. You see, what he is basically saying is this. They have been rendered harmless. The idea of teeth is you devour your prey. And so those ungodly men were trying to devour David to try to destroy him, whether it's not talking about the physical sense, but let's just ruin him. Their teeth have been broken. You see, they have been rendered harmless to me. Now, in the context of this psalm, harmless to do what? Well, I think we all know that it would have been very difficult for David to sleep in such circumstances. I think we all know that it would have been difficult for David not to be afraid in those circumstances. And yet he slept and he was not afraid. So the enemy, notice, the enemy was rendered harmless. You see, the reason why the enemy was rendered harmless was not because the enemy did nothing. It was because David did something. What did he do? He trusted in the Lord. He turned to the Lord. You see, the enemy only gets the victory when whatever the enemy says about you and your God comes true in your life. 
when you just fail to trust the Lord. So how, notice he says, so verse 8, he says, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. We say amen. Notice, thy blessing is upon thy people. Notice here, it's a, a present continuance. Thy blessing is upon thy people. It's always been upon thy people. It is upon thy people today. And it will always be upon thy people. Well, how could he say that? How can David declare this? He was running for his life. How could he say that? Well, let me ask you this. Who is God to us? You see, God is not a genie we keep around to ensure that no trouble comes our way. That's not who God is. God is not a lucky charm to look to for good fortune in this earthly life. That's not what God is. A thousand times no. You see, blessedness is found in those who are confident in the Lord in the midst of trouble. That, that's blessedness. This confidence, this confidence arises though because of the following. So notice here, I know we're in the last point, but let me go back to the second point. Because the psalmist here declares his confidence, Thy blessing is upon thy people. How can he say that? Because of where he found comfort. You see, there was three things that David did in his life. There was a spiritual practice. I cried unto the Lord. And when he cried unto the Lord, we know what he cried. What did he cry? He cried in response to what they said. What did they say? Verse 2, there is no help for him in God. This is what he cried in verse 3. Thou art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. So, spiritual practice brings about physical rest, which also brings about emotional stability. I lay me down and slept. I wake for the Lord to sustain me. I will not be afraid. You see, this pattern is found really all throughout the Psalms. If you turn with me to just a few pages to your right, Psalm 16. just want to show you here where else we see that. Psalm 16, notice verse 7. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. There it is. Though all the enemies are against me, I will not be moved. What does that mean? What does it mean not to be moved? David got kicked out of his kingdom, got kicked out of his palace, got kicked out of the city. What does it mean here not to be moved? You see, the heart that would be glad in the palace was not glad because of the palace it was glad because of God. And when the heart had to leave the palace, God was still there. So gladness was not found in the palace. It was found in God. And so he says, I'm not going to be moved. Because He is at my right hand. That's why I'm not going to be moved. And then he says, My heart is glad, my glory rejoiceth. Notice, my flesh shall rest. And hope he's talking about the physical aspect of his life. I can lay down and sleep and find rest. Why? Because the Lord is at my right hand, and I'm not going to be moved. As long as I see that the Lord is right there, I cannot be moved. For thou will, um, my flesh shall rest in hope. He says the same thing. I won't go there for the sake of time, but he says the same thing in Psalm 62. Verse 4 through 8. Same thing. I shall not be moved. He's able to find rest because he cried out to the Lord. So the point here I'm trying to make is 
in Psalm 1, blessedness is found in delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating in it day and night. Psalm 2, blessedness is found in trusting in the Lord, that He is above all, and we have a confidence, faith in the Lord. Psalm 3, blessedness is found when we cry out to the Lord. When we see the Lord, we need the Lord as we walk. And how do we, how do we prove that we need the Lord? How is that manifested in our lives when we cry out to the Lord? And when we cry out to the Lord, there's two things that happen as a consequence of that. Physical rest, emotional stability. If there's a lack of emotional stability in our lives, you know what's missing? We're being moved. Then God is not at our right hand, or He is, but we're not acknowledging Him to be there. And if we can't find rest, it's not because of God, it's because we are consumed with all the things that are peripheral in our lives. And we have forgotten God. You see, faith, faith is not the dismissing or the ignoring of the trouble and the affliction and the trial. It's not that at all. Faith is trusting God and going with God through those troubles. That's where rest is. That's where rest is. So may the Lord help us. The Lord sustain me. The, the, the expression sustain really means to, to prop up, to make, to stand, to set. And so David thought to himself, the Lord sustain me. The Lord has set me here. He has he he, he allowed this and, and he is able, he awake, the Lord sustain me. He has raised me up. He has made me to lean forward. That's what God has done. When I just want to say everything's over, it's all over. No, the Lord sustained me. And so may the Lord help us to learn that in our lives. And by the way, those things are learned in difficult times. They're learned in difficult times. So may the Lord help us. By the way, I think that the first three psalms thus far that we studied, it's all about blessedness. Blessedness is found in the Word, delighting and meditating. Psalm 2 is blessedness found in trusting the Lord. Psalm 3, blessedness is found in crying out to the Lord. The basics of the Christian life are right there in those first three psalms. And so may the Lord help us to live by those. Let's pray.